Ion 2020, episode 79. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? It's Ray Eaton, your host of Ion 2020, that place that you're coming to Monday through Friday. For the news and related events for, for the lead up to the 2020 election, I appreciate you joining me today. I really do. And if you uh, want to hear the show tomorrow, go ahead and subscribe to the show. First time listener, I appreciate you coming out and listening. Best way to listen is to subscribe, and then you'll get this thing thrown into your podcatcher every single day, Monday through Friday when I produce a new episode. I try to upload them around 5 o'clock every morning, and uh, I appreciate you listening. I really do. Uh, go ahead also, if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or hit me up on my webpage. You can do that, ionetheempire.com. And if you search uh, on Twitter, ionetheempire, all one word, at ionetheempire, you'll be able to uh, follow me on Twitter as well as on Facebook. We have a fa- I have a Facebook page, and I am uh, working on putting together a Facebook group as well, actually, private group for you if you want to join that as well. I uh, haven't officially done that yet. I will announce that at some point. But anyway, uh, appreciate you listening. I really do. And if you like what you hear, you don't have to do it right now because uh, you haven't listened to the episode if you're a first-time listener. But if you like what you hear on past episodes, go ahead and give me a five-star rating and a review. That would be appreciative. So I don't know if you guys have been listening, but I have been. Uh, I was on a cruise last week and uh, really enjoyed that. I really did. Uh, one thing that I do not like about cruises is the detox afterwards. Uh, getting the shakes from not drinking enough, of course. Uh, just kidding about that. Uh, but yeah, you do drink and eat a lot of food when you're on those cruises. And I think... Uh, I, I brought some <laughs> I brought some clothes with me, and by the end of the cruise, I could hardly fit into some of them. I was uh, walking around in some really tight shorts, you know, trying to uh, trying to suck in my gut and everything because you just eat so much food. I mean, it's just steak every single night, steak and potatoes, you know, uh, just you know, piling it on. You're eating food all throughout the day. My kids really enjoyed the fact that it was all the all the ice cream you could eat. But now I am detoxing from all of that. I decided that I will probably be hitting up a diet, so uh, making sure that I'm not, you know, getting myself down to a a comfortable level. A comfortable level, what I mean by that is a comfortable level where my pants fit me, because, yeah, it's just uh, everything's a little bit tighter now, and that's, uh, that's, that's what I'm dealing with. That's some third, that's some, sorry, some first world problems right there, I guess. Uh, which is a good thing that we live in a, you know, that I live in the United States where we have those those types of problems, I guess. I don't know. I know that Americans get f- made fun of because we're all fat and miserable all the time. We're always complaining and we uh, we eat way too much. All we do is eat McDonald's and Burger King and different things like that. I know that's the, that's the criticism that you get from people from overseas. I remember when I was backpacking Europe back in the early 2000s, uh, you always heard people complaining that, or talking about how Americans eat unhealthy and that we're all fat. So uh, you, you go on a cruise boat and you do see you do see quite a bit of that sometimes. But you know what? Uh, at least we're well at least we're well fed, right? 
Uh, we might die of a heart attack early, but at least we're well fed. And on those cruises, I'm telling you, man, the food, uh, you just eat, you just seem to eat a lot of it. So, um, if you end up going on a cruise, make sure you're ready to go detox afterwards because that's what I am doing now. I actually detoxed from the news for a week as well. So I've been trying to get myself caught up on what's going on with all these candidates, what's going on just generally around the world. And uh, I've been posting all that stuff to my website, which is iontheempire.com. So go ahead and go there. If you, uh, if you go to that page on a regular basis, you'll find news about things that are going on overseas with our U.S. empire, as well as some domestic stuff that goes on. I try to actually hop into uh, newspapers from all around the world so I could see different perspectives as well. Uh, for example, one thing that I noticed a couple of days ago, I was re- I looked in, uh, believe it or not, I looked in the Syria Times, which has an, an English version of it, and uh, obviously it's propaganda put out by a dictatorship uh, that you have over there. But, you know, most news agencies in each country is going to be a propaganda arm of its of its governors. Even America's uh, newspapers, as you guys probably, you know, might think. You know, you might, you might be curious as to whether the propaganda are our news is a propaganda arm of the federal government and, and you know if you if you look at it even you know cnn msnbc fox news you know they are practically a propaganda arm of the u.s government in that sense i mean whenever there whenever there's drum beats of war going the news media goes right along with it they did it in iraq they did it in afghanistan they did it uh in the lead up to the original iraq war they've done it all throughout history where if you're not on board with the wars, if you're not on board with different things that are going on in the foreign policy arena, uh, and you're a news media outlet, then you're going to be blacklisted, and people are going to turn on you. So these these news agencies in America, even they are propaganda arms. But I mean, anyway, I go hop onto some of these web pages from different um, international sources. I try to hit a lot of these Middle Eastern sources. I try to hit some of the. Uh, you know, the European sources and so forth. I'm trying to find different news agencies. So if you knew it, know of any, please let me know. You can do that at my Twitter handle at I the empire and just let me know about some, uh, agencies that I could follow that might be a little bit less biased, a little bit more, um, objective in their journalism and so forth. That would be nice. But <clears throat> my main goal is to try to get the perspectives of these different countries and what they're writing so one of the things that i found in syria is that what they're what they're writing about right now in one piece was that america is trying to close off the borders of syria and detach them from their neighbors right and if they're worried about that and also they talk about how um the occupied area of syria which is when they refer to that they're, they refer to it as the occupied area of Syria, and that's the area that America has basically taken over. So they're calling America an occupation force right now. Uh, at what point do they get pissed off enough to maybe attack that occupation force, right? Who knows? Will they do it? Will they not? I mean, from past experience, if they do, then the U.S. military rolls in and takes over their country, just like they did in Afghanistan, just like they did in Iraq. Uh, just like they've pretty much done in Somalia and a few other countries in Africa as well, right? You have mil- American military presence, specifically in Iraq and Afghanistan, that basically went in and took over those countries and gave the gave the uh, government over to you know the players that they chose. So 
will Syria do that? Will the Syrian military do that? Who knows? I know it's going to cause us a lot of controversy if they're calling it an occupational force, though. Uh, that that kind of scares me that they would that they're referring to it as that. But obviously, they they should be referring to it to that because the U.S. military presence in Syria right now is an occupational force. They're occupying a certain territory in order to protect their interests, and that you know that that's a sovereign country, and they have the right to. Um, try to kick America off if they wanted to, obviously they're going to do it uh, without without trying to use force at first, but at what point does it become uh, to the point where they just say, you know what, screw it, we're going to try to use force, we're going to get the backing of Russia, we're going to get the backing of some of our other allies in the area, Iran, and so forth. Um, but anyway, looking at that from their perspective, you got to think to yourself, huh, maybe there is some, you know, maybe there is something more going on over there that, and that that's why I hop onto these websites to try to find this stuff out, right? I mean, if you look at everything through the perspective of the, or from a different lens, if you if you try to look at things from the perspective of the other party that's being victimized or the other party that's on the other side of something, uh, you can sometimes see why they're doing what they're doing and what their, what their intentions are going forward, right? Um, and it's good to look at it from that perspective. If you look at it from just a biased, hey, I'm an American you know, America, great, America's the best, uh, whatever we do is okay, we're the good guys or the bad guys, if you look at it from that perspective, then you're going to look at a lot of America's wars in the wrong way. You got you to gotta, you gotta realize that there's civilians in these countries, and anytime there's a bombing and it blows up a civilian target, by mistake even, they look at America as the bad guy. So we're the bad guy in their eyes. But in our eyes, in Americans' eyes, a lot of times we look at it and say, well, we're the good guys. We're trying to spread democracy, things like that. And, uh, I mean, if you look at World War I from that perspective, you know, the Germans had, had, had their views about what was going on. The Allied forces had their views about what were going on. The, you know, the, the French, the English, they had their views of what, were going on, what was going on as well as the Americans at the time had their views of what was going on. Everybody looks at it from their perspective, but history is written from the winner's perspective. And I think that if you look at it from everybody's perspective, you're taking the entire thing, if you could step outside of your own biases, you can see a lot of, a, you know, a lot of different things that happen in the different wars throughout the, his, throughout the history of the United States, as well as the history of the world, and say, hey, Maybe what I was taught about that particular war was coming from a biased perspective. Civil War, same thing. You know, there's even the American Revolution, same thing. Different, I mean, different people had different agendas. And everyone, you know, there's always a money agenda, a monetary agenda going on as well. There's people that are going to try to influence these wars to their own gain. Smedley Butler wrote a, you know, a book about this war is a racket and he's saying in world war one specifically you know there was a lot of people that made millions upon millions of dollars on the idea that they're going to get out there and bomb drop bombs and build planes and build you know warships and things like that there's lots of people that made, oh clothing the soldiers providing boots for the soldiers there's a lot of people that made a lot of money on those items that were sold to the u.s government in order to give it to the soldiers a lot of gun manufacturers same thing they're benefiting from these wars 
And throughout history, you can see the same thing. The monetary interest, the loans that go to the federal government or the governments of these countries that are fighting, the English government and so forth. You know, um, they say the reason, or some people speculate that the reason why we got into World War I on the English side, on the British side, and on the French side is because they had more loans out. You know, they were able to, they, they had more loans out against, you know, f- from their country, um, New York, the New York bankers were loaning those countries way more money than they were the Germans because there was an embargo against Germany. There was a trade embargo. There was, uh, you know, there were warships out there protecting or keeping any trade going in to the German population and the German government. So they say the those they, those countries the English and the French were borrowing so much money from New York that it was just imperative that America gets in there and make sure that the English win, the French win, so that they can pay back their loans to, you know, the Morgan Stanleys of the world and so forth. So there's there's definitely monetary interest involved in every single war. World War II even, I'm sure. If you look in the details, you'll find that also. Um, but anyway, you got to look at the wars from that perspective. you got to look at... All, everything that's going on from the two sides of two sides of the coin there's the good there's not the good guys and the bad guys there's just two people that have different in two countries that have different interests and each side is trying to make sure that their interests are upheld and america obviously as americans we're gonna be propagandized into thinking that our way is the right way that we're doing it a good thing that we're the good guys that our military they're the heroes out there and they're trying to change the world and make things better for these people and everything else but when you look at the people in syria they're thinking something completely different and their propaganda their 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 governments are propagandizing them as well to say that we have an occupational force on our borders that they're trying to seal us off from the rest of the world that they're trying to keep us from having good relations with Jordan next door, um, with you know Libya and different or not Libya but Iran and different countries that are surrounding us. They're you know, they all they each have their own agenda, and their their people are being propagandized just like Americans are being propagandized to think that their country is the good guy and the other guy is the bad guy. Um, but that's where governments. I mean that that's how governments are, right? They're trying to protect their own interests. They're trying to keep their power. And that's just the way it is. Uh, wow, I went way off on a tangent on that. Sorry, guys. I apologize. I really wanted to focus this thing in on some news pieces today. And I just went way off on a tangent with some uh, some war issues and stuff. But my main thing that I was saying is look at different, you know, look into different media, media outlets as well. And I'd love to hear some media outlets that you guys go to. Um, so I could start looking at those as well and finding some good information. Uh, I've been scouring the internet constantly trying to find new places to find uh, different news sources that are going to help us out to get uh, to the truth that we want to find. So help me out with that if you can. And you could let me know about these news sources. You know, either on my website, you can uh, go there and let me know. You can go to the I Am The Empire Facebook page and you could... I mean, if, if if you want to post on there, you can, I think. And if not, then let me know, and I'll try to figure out a way to make it so that you guys can post on there as well. But post news articles on there. Share things on there. And uh, I'd love to... Or share things with me that I could share on there. But let me know some news sources that you find. But let's hop into some news pieces that are going on right now. And uh, let's see what, you know, see what some of these candidates are doing. 
So the Libertarians' favorite Republican candidate, that's right, you know, you guessed it, Bill Weld has officially decided to run for President of the United States against Donald Trump. I'm not sure if I mentioned that before. I know that he was planning on running and he was he was dipping his toe in the water, but I think with this whole Mueller investigation thing that's going on, he is really thinking that uh, he's going to be able to top Trump. He's the first person to specifically throw his name into the hat on the Republican ticket that is a a likely contender or somebody that could possibly contend against him. I'm not sure if he's even a somebody that might be able to beat Donald Trump, but if there is like a huge controversy that happens, if there happens to be impeachment hearings, if it happens that Donald Trump just says, screw it, throws in the towel, and gives everyone the finger, if that happens, then Bill Weld is set up in a place where he can start gathering money, he can start being the first mover as the Repub- in the Republican uh, arena for president, right? Uh, John Kasich has mentioned that he's thinking about running as well, and he's now been in the news a couple of times. I heard him criticizing Trump, saying that we need a different leader, saying that we need different, you know, somebody to run against him. So John Kasich might be the next to jump in, but Donald Trump, uh, I don't think he has anything to fear from these guys right now in the political in the political condition that we're in at this moment. But things can change. I mean, if if something comes out with the Mueller investigation where, or the post-Mueller investigation where there's actually, uh, or it turns out that Trump did obstruct justice and things like that, then it might turn out to be a good thing for these guys to jump in and then be the people that are going to run against whoever the Democrats nominate. Now, obviously, Mike Pence would be the first person that they would choose to run against him, but then he would be primaried by the likes of Bill Weld or John Kasich, or somebody else. Who knows? We shall see. I, I've said this before, and I think it's probably true that Bill Weld is probably doing this for other ulterior motives, like maybe running for Senate in Massachusetts in 2020. I don't think he's going to go back to the Libertarians in 2020. Uh, I don't think that they would accept him back. From what I've seen, I've, I've heard a lot of different people talking about that. Um, I know that they're trying to get Justin Amash to run as well as a few other uh, candidates that, you know, might be better suited to run on a more libertarian stance. But who knows, I've even heard people toying with the idea that Ron Paul might run as a as a uh, libertarian, but we'll see about that as well. That would be amazing if that happened, but I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, he's an older gentleman. I think he's happy what he's doing with what he's doing right now, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, Bill Weld is in. Man, the one great thing, this is a little side note, because you could probably hear it in my voice, but the one great thing about being on a cruise away from all of the pollen is that you don't have the scratchy voice at all times. I'm starting to get that back now that I'm back home. My son, who constantly has a cough from all the pollen in the air in the Carolinas, is uh, he, he was not coughing at all on that boat, which was amazing. And he's constantly, he has a persistent cough all spring during, you know, the pollen season around here. And now I'm starting to get it back as well. So 
Uh, that's just a little sidebar. But let's hop back right back into the news. Uh, but you can probably hear it in my voice, so I apologize. But I get that cracking voice sound constantly because of the pollen. And uh, hopefully by, you know, the beginning of summer, this, this will go away. We shall see. So if you hop online, you'll be able to see some uh, craziness going on with uh, these people raising their raising money. Like you have the, the candidates that are raising a ton of money right now. And um, you'd find that on the the CDC we- or the, the Elections Commission, sorry, the Election Commission website. And it shows because quarter one was ended in March. So March 31st was the quarter one final uh, tallies of what these candidates have raised for their campaigns. And um, on the top of the list is Donald Trump. He has $97 million in contributions so far to his campaign. And I bet you, and yeah, because it's been like that for a while, a lot of that money is left over from his last campaign, is from what I understand. So it's being held in these coffers, though. $97,852,465.13. So you got that much money being raised by Donald Trump. And they're saying, I read an article also that says that he is getting those wealthy donors and the donors that he lost, those like like those key Republican donors, he's getting those guys, he's winning those guys over versus where he was at uh, in 2016, where he, you know, he did a lot of it self-funded his own campaign. He had a lot of small contributions from individuals, but, you know, a lot of that money is sitting there, $97 million. The next person behind him, the highest on the Democratic ticket, was Bernie Sanders, and he raised $20 million in the first quarter. John Delaney is number three, or number two on the Democratic ticket. John Delaney, John K. Delaney. I haven't even done an episode on this guy, but he's a, he's a congressman. Uh, I think it's a congressman from Ohio, if I, or sorry, Maryland, I think, if I remember correctly. But he's raised $18 million. Wow, he's a little sleeper, isn't he? He's got $18 million right behind Bernie Sanders, $2 million behind Bernie Sanders. I wonder if, I wonder where he's getting his money, first of all, because he's not very popular. I mean, you look at his Twitter account, and when he posts something, he gets like eight likes. Eight people put that little heart next to on his, and he gets no comments whatsoever. So he's obviously not that popular, but he's got $18 million sitting there. Good Lord. Um... I'd just love to see who his supporters are, or if he's just a sleeper, you know, if he's just that guy that he has tons of money sitting there, and uh, he's ready to come out of the gate swinging, who knows, because it, it's proven with um, some of these guys, Buttigieg, you know, I'm a mayor, he's a mayor of, you know, South Bend, Indiana, and uh, he's getting a lot of traction right now, along with, you know, Beto O'Rourke, who literally was a congressman. He's not even a congressman anymore, I don't think. And he lost a Senate race to Ted Cruz, and he's getting some traction. So you got this in Democrats. Democrats, you got Bernie Sanders number one, Delaney number two, Elizabeth Warren number three, sixteen million dollars. Kamala Harris number four, thirteen million, and uh, Kirsten Gillibrand is twelve million. Then Beto O'Rourke's right behind her. You got Amy Klobuchar who uh, has $8 million, Cory Booker, 
who has seven, you know, a little, uh, right around $8 million as well. Pete Buttigieg, where he's $7 million. And I think he only announced in the last couple of weeks of the quarter. So uh, Tulsi Gabbard raised $4.5 million. So that's good. Andrew Yang self-funded $2,438,000. Jay Inslee, uh, and $2 million. Then John Hickenlooper was $2 million. So it must be pretty easy to get $2 million pretty quick because uh, three of these guys did, and all these people that were running. So those are the main people that are running for their uh, party's nomination, and they were able to raise so much money. Now, that's like almost a, gosh, like $150 million sitting there. And I, I wrote about this on the website, I on the Empire, yesterday, that it, this that's a lot of money going into these campaigns, and it, it's going to end up being like, that these candidates are probably going to spend close to two to three billion dollars in this re-election campaign for Donald Trump and the election campaign for any of these Democrats that are running. Right? That's a lot of money that could be used for way better things than finding the the uh, biggest idiot in our country, if you know what I mean. So, uh, but all these people, what they're trying to do is they're just promising as much as they can. And who's donating to these campaigns? It's usually, you know, big donors, but all these Democrats are saying, oh, no, we're only taking small funds from people and da-da-da-da-da, you know. Um, So they're trying to look like they're grassroots, but these grassroots, all they're doing is they're promising, you know, more and more to the people. It's more buying votes than anything else. It's more... uh, That's that's what it is. It's, It's one person trying to use the force of government and saying that they're going to use the force of government in your favor to confiscate the wealth from other people and give give that money to you. Um, and in my opinion, that's wrong. But, you know, there's just a lot of money in politics because there's a lot of money that's controlled by the federal government. There's a lot of power that's controlled by your federal government. And everybody wants their hands on a piece of that pie. And that's why... It costs $3 billion to become president these days. Sickening, isn't it? I agree. So, uh, anyway, there's lots of money in these campaigns, guys. And uh, I I have donated $1 of that $150 million. And I donated that $1 to Tulsi Gabbard just so that she can get on that campaign stage. And I don't even know why I did it because she, she made her 65,000 people. She got her 65,000 individual donors. Um, so anyway, I was just one of those. I just felt like having her on that stage to have that anti-war message would be a good thing. Um, and it will be. It will be, definitely. Um, although, lately, if you look at her Twitter page, a lot of her stuff is, we need more, you know, we, we need more gun control. We need health care for all. We need... Medicare for all. We need this. We need you know free education, all that stuff. Like it's all that socialist mumbo jumbo, um, handout type stuff. And uh, she's for. She did make it a point on 420 that she said that she was gonna you know willing to pardon people that were in there for nonviolent crimes for marijuana charges and things like that. Which that's good. Um, most of the Democrats are good on that issue. So uh, hopefully she you know I know that she is as well. But uh, stick to the. Stick to the anti-war issue, Tulsi, please. That's uh, that's where you're going to pick up a lot of people who are sick and tired of our federal government sending these people to war. 
sending the soldiers the best and brightest, you know, young people who have so much to offer the world besides being cannon fodder for uh, some idiot, you know, over in Syria somewhere that wants to strap a bomb vest onto their back and go blow people up in the name of uh, freedom or whatever, you know, Um, or not freedom, but, you know, and and getting rid of the occupying force pretty much. Um, If there was no occupying force there, that person over in Syria would, you know, probably becoming a doctor or a lawyer or something like that but um he hates the fact that there's an occupying force over there so that's why he's willing to do something like that but let's not let our young people become cannon fodder for that let's let them stay at home go to college get a job become a mechanic whatever they want to do besides going over there toting a gun and uh getting shot at so um anyway stick to the point Tulsi Gabbard, stick to the points. But anyway, guys, I appreciate you coming out and listening today. I really do. Um, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you like what you heard today. And give me a five-star rating review. Hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. I would. And uh, if you'd like, you know, come on back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020.